Uh, Well, again, if you would, uh, take out your Bible and let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll be reading today verses 10 through 13. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Again, this is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our God remains forever. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Gracious God, Father in heaven, we thank you for this reading of your word. We pray now for the preaching of the word. Give us ears to hear. Be with this, your servant. We pray that we may understand better this battle that we have, this spiritual war in which we are engaged. Help us to understand it. Help us to apply your word, that we may give you all glory in it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We generally uh, think of our lives as being conducted exclusively in the temporal world, uh, the physical world of time and space, where we use our five senses to experience reality. Perhaps it's because we are accustomed to thinking more concretely, or perhaps it's because we've been influenced by the age of reason. Modern people in particular often don't consider the spiritual world, partly because modern people tend to reject the supernatural. Uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. famously said, quote, Some people are too heavily minded to be in the earthly good. End quote. Well, with all due respect to the 19th century thinker, for the Christian being too heavily minded is an impossibility. We must be heavenly minded in our outlook for life. In fact, the Apostle Paul has invited us in this epistle to the Ephesian church to be heavenly minded. We must be heavenly minded. Paul's letter instructs us on what it is to be heavenly minded. And we've seen this through our study in Ephesians. He mentions heavenly places over and over again. Beginning in chapter 1, we read that God the Father has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then that the risen Christ is seated in the heavenly places at the Father's right hand. And then in chapter 2, we are told that we too have been raised up and we too have been seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 3, the manifold wisdom of God has been revealed through the church to the rulers.
authorities in the heavenly places. And then finally, here in chapter 6, we learn that we have a battle against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You see, Ephesians is a heavenly-minded epistle, and the Christian life is a heavenly-minded life. There are spiritual forces at work beyond the world in which we see. And Paul's concern throughout this letter has been for the church of Jesus Christ to understand their security in Christ, the union they have with the Savior, the unity which the body of Christ has together, the grace and spiritual blessings which are ours in Christ Jesus, in light of the fact there is a spiritual battle which is going on in the background of all of our life. Our life... As a Christian, is to be heavenly minded, for we are secure in Christ, and yet we are called to die to sin and to follow after the Lord. We are to put off that which is wicked. We are to put on Christ. Chapter 5, in particular, uh, shows the concern of walking in the light and no longer walking in the darkness. The one in union with Christ is a member of the body and thus is no longer to do evil. We're to do what is good. So our sanctification, that is our dying to sin and following wholeheartedly after Christ, this is the battlefield in which our spiritual warfare is fought. Yes, it is true that we are concerned for the lost and and oppressing the truths of the gospel, which is calling the sinner to repentance and faith. But you and I need the gospel daily as well. We too need to be called to continue in repentance and faith. For often we are prone to seasons of unbelief. We are prone to seasons of despair. We are prone to seasons of lacking in assurance in Christ. We're prone to seasons of entanglement in sin. See, the Christian life is to be heavenly minded because the Christian life is a life engaged in spiritual warfare. There is a battle which is raging in your own heart and in the hearts of everyone around you. You and I must be engaged in this battle. Whether you want to be engaged in it or not, you must be engaged in it. You see, the Christian is at war. But this war is not like the wars that you know normally. This is a spiritual conflict. And our weapons are not guns or bombs or swords or fists. The weapons of this war are spiritual in their nature. And there's a readiness that you and I must have as soldiers for Christ... And so the Apostle invites us to put on the full armor of God. And he he actually says this twice, you'll notice in the passage. And so our study today is looking at the preparation the Christian must make for the spiritual battle. And then next week we'll look at the specific uh, parts of the armor. 
Now, although the redemption purchased by Christ for us is full and free, and in which we are secure and united to our Lord, there is nevertheless a real war which you and I are engaged in. It's a war being waged between the powers of darkness and the Lord, who is light. Now, this is not a battle that we always necessarily see, but it is a very real battle, and it is one in which we as Christians participate in. Now, this is the reason that Paul states in verse 10 that, that we are to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. We're to be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. The, the battle in which we are engaged in plays out in our daily lives, in our own very hearts. It's a, it's a battle against sin which remains in us. There is a sin nature which arises in us. that must be fought against. And following after the Lord through the means of grace. But listen, this is not a battle that we fight alone. Nor is it a battle we can fight alone. We cannot struggle in our own strength. We cannot struggle with through sheer willpower. You see, the problem is that if we regard this spiritual war as as mere moral conflict against our evil passions, we may be tempted to think that we could win this battle in our own strength. When we think that all we have to do is follow the rules and everything's going to be fine, then we're fighting in our own strength and we're losing. This is the error that many over the millennium the church have made, and are still even to this day making. Thinking that it's simply a moral thing. If we just, we just get our morals right, everything's going to be alright. And Paul warns the church that taking a legalistic approach is a mistake. The spiritual battle which every Christian is engaged in is one in which you and I do not have the power in and of ourselves to win. We cannot simply try harder. We cannot simply do better. We can't simply just put certain rules in place like the Pharisees did. Because the church is not merely an agent for moral change. The aim of the church is not to simply try and convince the world to conform to our good or better ideas for life. It's not the aim of the church. Or to create a more world, a more moral world around us. This is the error of the so-called social gospel proponents a hundred years ago, and is the error of those today who seek social justice or social change without hearts being changed by the gospel. When we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this is this has been talked about in our Sunday school class. When we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are calling sinners to repentance and faith. And the only mediator between God and men, the Lord Jesus Christ, for He is the source of our strength. He is the only one who transforms the dead to life. A world where people simply act morally and do basically good things, absent saving faith in Jesus Christ, is a world where you have moral people who are still dead in their trespasses and sins. 
And so the battleground is not in the realm of getting sinful people to act more good. We are engaged in a spiritual battle in hearts, in our own hearts. This involves repentance of sin, trusting and resting in Christ, calling the fallen world to do likewise. It's a battle not only in the hearts of those out there, it's also in our own hearts as well. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. The spiritual battle is fought with spiritual weapons through spiritual means. Our own strength, your strength, my strength is insufficient for the task. We must be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Consider our Old Testament passage we just read from Joshua. It's it's worth noting that uh, the Lord is the one who did, who won the victory. The children of Israel they just were there for mopping up. They didn't really do much. It was the Lord who won that battle. That's instructive for us. You see, apart from Christ and our being united to Him, you and I can accomplish no spiritual good. Jesus says as much in John 15 where He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in Me and I in Him, He it is that bears much fruit. From apart from Me, you can do nothing. You have to be attached to Jesus. You have to be united to Him. You and I have no hope for salvation apart from the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. And in order to see progress in our sanctification, we need the work of the Holy Spirit. We must not think that we can win the spiritual battle on our own. That we can change our own hearts. And our own power. We must not think this. We need the powerful work of God in us. And beloved, this is true in our evangelism. In the justification of sinners. And it is true in our lives as Christians. In our sanctification. Now, it may not be immediately clear to you. But Paul is still drawing on the idea of the church being a body of which we are individual members. And it is not that you and I have strength, it's that Christ is strong, and in Him we have strength. When we are weak, and we are weak, we are weak, but He is strong. And when we are empty, He is full. He is the source of all power. He is the source of all strength. He is the source of life for us. We are not, we are but instruments in His hands. And since this is the case, the power of the church then is not found in our institutions. It's not found in our intellect. It's not found in our great learning. It is not found in our superior arguments, our slogans, our cleverness, our size, our political influence. 
or any earthly power. The strength of the, of the church of Jesus Christ is found in her head. That is the Lord, the King, who rules and reigns over all that there is. That is where the power is found. It's not found in us. It's found in the King. And since the strength and vigor come from the Lord, the church is then to put on the full armor of God. So that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 11. And then it's here. Now we see the reason that we must arm ourselves. The reason we must put on the full armor of God. For the follower of Jesus Christ has an adversary. Namely, Satan who is constantly scheming against the faith of the church. The devil seeks to frustrate your faith, to undermine your convictions, and to cause you to fall into the the snares of sins. And he seems to succeed when we fail to trust in the Lord for all that we need. Now it must be borne in mind, even though we have this adversary, it must be borne in mind that the Lord Jesus Christ is superior in every way to the devil. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus has already won the victory over sin. Nevertheless, this does not diminish the seriousness of the conflict of which you and I must be engaged in. We must put on the armor of God because the devil prowls like a lion seeking whom he may devour. And it is Jesus who protects us and keeps us. And so though the final outcome of the battle is certain, the particular battles of your life and in your heart are not. These are the areas in which you participate in. If you choose not to fight against sin, then you will fall into the snares of sin. If you choose to fight in your own power, then you will lose that battle against sin. You and I must fight the good fight of faith, taking hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And so since we must take part in the battle, you and I must be armed. We are to put on the full armor of God, which, which, as I mentioned already, we will look at in more detail next week. But in general now. But in order to explain this armor, the apostle draws on the picture of a Roman soldier. And he uses the word uh, (coughs) panoplia, or panoply. And he says this in both verses 11 and 13, which basically means full or complete armor. So for the Roman soldier, the panoply would have included such things as a shield, sword, lance, helmet, breastplate, shoes. Everything which a soldier would need to defend himself and to wage war on his enemies. And of course, waging war is what the soldier does. And so in like manner, this is to be the posture of the Christian. We are to wage war. We're not just sitting on the sidelines. We're not cheerleaders. 
We're engaged in battle. And we're not only on the defensive, the church of Jesus Christ is on the offensive. We're waging war. Recall the words of Jesus who said in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Listen, beloved, we, we're storming the gates of hell. And they, they have, they're, they're no match for the power of Jesus Christ. And so when Paul says to put on the full armor, he is saying, put on everything you need to conduct the war, both in defending yourself against the attacks of the evil one and in waging war against sin and unbelief. But listen, this is not human armor. This is spiritual. This is God's armor. The strength we need for the battle is not our own, and the armor we need is not our own. All of this comes from God. So Paul is steering us away from the idea that we could just simply sit on the sidelines of the battle, or or that we could fight this battle on our own terms, through our own strength. Our own strength, our own means will not work. This has been proven throughout the course of history. Men and women have tried a variety of ways in which to wage this spiritual conflict. Some have tried to flee from the conflict by fleeing from the world. You know, like the medieval monastics, fleeing to the wilderness. If I just go out into the wilderness and I get away from people, then, then I won't sin anymore. So it doesn't work because you have a heart and a mind and you think of all the sinful things you could be doing. I think it was Augustine who talked about this. That though he though he's in the wilderness, his mind was still in the city with the dancing women. You can't just go off into the wilderness. Others have tried the aesthetic and ritual observances. Monastic obedience, self-flagellation, the invocation of saints or angels, celibacy, voluntary poverty, self-mutilation. And the list could go on and on of ways in which people have tried to to mortify, uh, mortify the flesh through works of the flesh. Though these things seem wise as a way to mortify the flesh, these are a false panoply. These are not real armor. These things are not the power of God. In Paul, in, I'm sorry, in Colossians, Paul says these things have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But listen, this is what he says, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. They're of no value. They will, they will not help you in your sanctification. They seem like maybe they could, but they don't. You must not fight a spiritual battle by earthly means. Now it may seem reasonable to us, at least in human terms, to chase asceticism as a means of waging a spiritual war, but these are not the weapons and armor which God has given to us. Rituals, asceticism, law-making, sheer willpower, none of this will win the battle against sin. It is only the armor of God which will allow us to stand against the schemes of the devil. Because our adversary is not a mere man. Nor is our enemy 
our fellow men. Our spiritual, our battle is spiritual. It's not a physical battle. Thus, verse 12, where he says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Beloved congregation of Jesus Christ, hear carefully when I say our struggle is not against people. Because sometimes it seems like our fight is against people. And particularly in our uh, polemic society of division, we, th- those people over there, they're my enemy. No, they're not. We're not fighting people. We are struggling in a battle against spiritual rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, and the spiritual forces of evil. That's what we're fighting. And keep in mind that Paul was writing in the first century in the Greco-Roman world. And the, and the opinions and worldviews of the people in that period of time were totally irreconcilable to the gospel. It was somewhat, somewhat like our present world, but much, much worse. It is not that the church does not have enemies in the world who hate her. I'm not saying that there aren't people who wouldn't love to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. The world is filled with those who despise the church. But listen, they are not our enemy. We're not fighting our fellow image bearers. We are fighting those forces behind them. The forces of spiritual darkness at work in the world. 2 Corinthians 4 4 reminds us that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Satan has blinded the minds of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The world is blinded. The world is filled with those who are deceived by the enemies of Christ. They live lifestyles of wretched sin and debauchery. They are haters of God. They are cruel towards their fellow men. And they would no sooner destroy you and me if given the chance, but they are not our real enemy. That seems odd, doesn't it? To think that the one who hates you because they hate Jesus really isn't your enemy. The Christian is not fighting against flesh and blood. Our battle is spiritual. The church is a spiritual institution with a spiritual task, and we use spiritual means for executing that task. Paul here uses the word wrestle in verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Wrestling has to do with hand-to-hand combat. Wrestling is a kind of combat which is characterized by trickery, cunning, and strategy. We are fighting a battle not with literal hands, nor with deceit, nor with trickery of the world. That's not how we're battling. That's not how we're fighting. The spiritual struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of darkness. Against the spiritual forces in this present, in, this, in, in the heavenly places. So congregation... No matter how hateful, no matter how deceived other people may be, that person is not your enemy. That's not who we're fighting. In fact, we're seeking to rescue them 
from bondage. We're calling them to faith in Jesus Christ. Our Lord said in Matthew 5, 43 and 44, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. There were many who hated Jesus. There were many who hate us. There are many who hate you. But you're to pray for them. And you're to call them to repentance and faith. Beloved bride of Christ, we are fighting demons and the evil ideas they bring to men. Christ came to set the captives free. Men and women in the world are captive to sin and to the devil. And these devils, which are fallen angelic creatures, rule over the darkness. They rule over those who are in a state of apostasy against God. They're in rebellion against their Creator. And they're being led by and deceived by these fallen angelic angels. They rule over their captives. In other words, the powers of darkness and the spiritual forces of evil have, have authority over those who are not part of God's people, keeping them in deception. That's why we must pray for them. And this makes us, the believers in Jesus Christ, the arch enemy of the powers of darkness. And so our conflict is with the authorities and of the rulers of the kingdom of darkness as it is now. Our battle is against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Because the heavenly places is where the battle is taking place. Paul explains this in 2 Corinthians 10, where he said how this battle plays out. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Here's what we're doing, he says. Verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So we must understand the people of this world, those who are deceived, those who do not know Jesus Christ, though they may hate you, are not our enemy. They are not who we fight. To them, as deceived sinners in this world, we should show compassion. We are fighting that which is behind them. We are, fight, we are destroying arguments. We're, we are destroying every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God. That, that's, that's the battle. And so it is that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're engaged in a spiritual war, and we need to also be on guard against spiritual attacks. Thus we are told to put on the armor of God. And then now in verse 13 it says that we are to take, take it up. Take up the armor of God. He said put it on. Now he says take it up. Now take it up is actually a military term which describes the final preparations before engaging the enemy. And the word as Paul uses here is, is an imperative. You must take it up. You must take up and make those final preparations. And here's why. Because the battle is upon you. You must take up the armor. 
The battle is here. Make your final preparations. Be prepared to engage the enemy, for they're coming. And they're even here now. And so there's immediate action which must be uh, taken place, so that you may be with, able to withstand the e- on the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. You see, without the armor of God, you will not be able to withstand the attacks of the enemy. You just won't. There is no place for you to hide. There are no foxholes for you. There are no defensive positions. If you are a believer in Jesus, you will find yourself under attack. It's really not a question of if you are attacked. It is when you are attacked. Therefore, you and I must be prepared to enter into the battle with the proper armor, the armor of God, so that we can stand firm. You see, you're out in the open. And the only thing you have is the armor of God, and that's all you need. And the evil day, which Paul mentions, is the day of trial, which is the day of trouble. This is the day that the attack comes against you. And we have all been there. And we will all be there again. And some of you, that day, that day of trouble came this week. And for some of you, that day of trouble is coming next week. But it comes. There's a day which we will face again and again. In the Psalms, this is a day in which the Lord has promised to rescue His people. For the Christian, this day of rescue is sure, for we are in Christ. And it's important to point out that these spiritual forces of darkness are even themselves under the sovereign hand of God. Satan can't act without the permission of God. Now, this, this is seen in the account of Job. But for our part, we are called to be prepared so that we can resist the attacks of the enemy when they come, and having done all to stand firm. In other words, having made all the appropriate preparations for the battle, the battle which is already upon us, and having, uh, having resisted the enemy's attacks, you might be able to maintain your ground as a victor. And the victory is not yours, it belongs to God. So we can stand firm against the attacks of the enemy to victory, because victory has already been won by Jesus Christ. And so what is this armor that we put on that we can stand firm in that spiritual battle? Well, we'll have more on that next week. But suffice to say, it's rooted in the Word of God and in the Spirit of God. It's trusting in Him. Well, as I was preparing this week to preach, I I have to admit, I really struggled with this passage. Not that I didn't understand it, but really how to convey these ideas to you. But as the week unfolded, I realized that we as a church and as individuals have been living this out. Some of you understand very well what I'm talking about today. This has been a difficult week for many of you. Some of you have faced hardships, trials, uncertainty. There have been moments where you've had to trust God with your whole heart and and not lean on your own understanding. All of us must confront our own sin, and some of us have had to confront the effects of the sins of others. 
We've, had, we've been confronted with unbelief, both in our own hearts, as we struggle to walk by faith and not by sight, and in others, as we deal with those who claim Christ and ex- exhibit, a kind of, but ex- exhibit a kind of spiritual apathy, and in some cases, even dealing with straight-up unbelief and rebellion against God and His Word. This is the battle that some of us have faced this week. This is the battle that we're engaged in, and it's a battle of the heart. The battle which rages on our own heart. We must lean on God and His Word. It's a battle which is out there also in the hearts of others. It's a battle of ideas. It's a battle of worldviews. It's a battle which is arrayed against the forces of darkness and wickedness and all kinds of opinions and worldviews which are arrayed against the Creator. Because the world has been taken captive to sin and darkness. In our own hearts, we must constantly be on guard against the enemy who would deceive us into sin. Thus, all of us are like Paul in Romans chapter 7, doing the things which we should not do and not doing the things which we should. And all we can confess is, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? That's a spiritual battle. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, know this, there is hope for you in the battle. For Jesus Christ has already won the battle. He is our Redeemer, and He has already set you free if you are trusting and resting in Him. There is power in the cross of Jesus. Jesus died as a penalty for sin so that you and I could live for righteousness. Jesus rose again from the dead so that you and I can have new life in Him, union with Him. So though there is a battle raging in the spiritual realm and a battle in which you and I are engaged in, we do not go into this battle alone. Our strength does not come from ourselves. We do not rely on our our superior ideas or our superior knowledge. The strength that you and I can have is from the Lord, and we can find our comfort in Him. We can rest in Jesus Christ. The victory is certain, and in fact the battle has already been won, but it is not yet over. Our rest for salvation is found in Christ, but we are still the church militant. This is what Paul has been describing here. We are engaged in the battle. And we're to pray, we're to seek the Lord, we're to repent of our sin, we're to resist the power, uh, powers of darkness, we're to do so through the Holy Spirit, and we're to look forward to that day when there will be peace, and we will be in the church triumphant, we will be the church at rest. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder of the battle which exists, but we also thank you that you have already won the battle. Help us to be faithful servants, that we would take up the armor, that we would make all the preparations by your word and spirit, that we would pray, that we would show compassion on the lost around us, even those who despise us and hate us because we name the name of Jesus. Help us to see rightly their deception, 
and pray for them that they too may come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we pray for our own hearts, God, that You would sanctify us, that we would not become entangled into the entrapments of sin, but that we would resist by, by the armor of God, through Your Word and Spirit. Help us, we pray. And be with us this week. In Jesus' name. Amen.